0: Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. The mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. God has made everything appropriate to its time, but has put the timeless into their hearts, so they cannot find out from beginning to end the work which God has done. Ecclesiastes three eleven. Of course, the music you're hearing is Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds, uh, written by Pete Seeger, um, a song which is uh, clearly inspired by and quoting from Ecclesiastes, uh, one of the wisdom books of the Bible. So, today on Born of Wonder, we're going to be talking about time uh, as a concept. uh, Is it real? Um, How can we engage with it? Uh, What does it mean for our own lives to live in time but have the timeless in our hearts? Uh, I'm not going, I'm going to quote some science here, but uh, I'm not going to attempt to pretend I understand any of this and just sort of uh, present it to you as I encounter it um, from a point of interest, but also confusion. So (laughs) uh, welcome to this podcast, I'm Katie Marquette, you're listening to Born of Wonder. On this podcast, we explore anything and everything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. If you're new to the podcast, we have lots of topics that you can go back and explore. Everything from Narnia to Groundhog Day, so feel free to look back here through, uh, through the catalog that I've been developing. We're in season two now. Uh, lots to talk about, lots to discuss. If you've been enjoying the podcast, I just have to reiterate how important reviews are and how much I appreciate uh, people who have taken the time to leave a review, leave a comment. Uh, it means so much to me personally and it also helps the podcast show up in algorithms Uh, so if you have time when you're done listening if you head over to iTunes it's free to create uh, an iTunes account I use Spotify to listen to podcasts but you can always create an Apple ID to leave um, to leave podcast reviews which you should definitely do not just for me but for any podcast uh, that you that you like especially it's if it's an individual or um, you know not sponsored by the BBC or something like that um, because reviews are just so essential. So Spotify has not, uh, not um, developed a, a review system yet. Uh, hopefully they will soon. But for now, if you just hop on over to iTunes uh, with an Apple ID and leave a review, it means so much to me. So thank you so much for that. Now, without further ado, let's get going on today's topic, which is time. There are 20 monasteries on Mount Athos. Some look like medieval fortresses, others are so large they resemble small cities they rise from virgin forests and line the coast shrouded in mist there's nothing on this hundred and thirty square mile peninsula other than monasteries and monks nothing we expected Mount Athos to be a quiet place but we couldn't have imagined how quiet until we were dropped off here The silence is only broken by the occasional tapping on a chiseled piece of chestnut. It's a call to prayer and it started being used here before there were bells. The monks here have one goal and that is how to get closer to God. Father Serapion wanted us to understand that there is no place on earth closer to heaven than Mount Athos. So what you just heard there um, was a clip from a 60 Minutes special uh, featuring the monks uh, that live on Mount Athos in Greece, a fascinating group of people. an Eastern Orthodox monastery, and they live on Byzantine time. So Byzantine time, a method of time that not surprisingly originated originated in the Byzantine Empire. So in Byzantine time, hour zero begins daily at sunset rather than at midnight. And due to seasonal variations, um, the length of the day, etc., hour zero will vary by several hours throughout the year. So this group of monks on Mount Athos, they keep Byzantine time they have decided they are going to not just check out of the world in uh, in all the ways that um, Many sort of cloistered communities do but they are going to keep a entirely separate time They are living Uh, quite literally outside of time outside of modern time so I just found that so fascinating um it's worth watching uh watching that 60 minutes special in full uh shout out to my friend Miriam who sent it to me she visited Greece recently and unfortunately she could not visit this island because it is male only only men can get on this island um but if you're a woman and you want to see the beautiful um iconography and incredible art and learn more about their life there on the island uh we luckily have some TV crews, I assume all male TV crews, who have uh, been granted access, and uh, it's just fascinating. So this idea of time uh, as a concept is not a new one. Um, You probably heard, you know, time isn't real. Time is uh, what you make of it. Um, Age is just a number. (laughs) Just had a birthday, so keeping that in mind. Um... But is that true? Is that, uh, is that accurate to say? Um, well, according to Einstein, time is real, but it is relative, and it's relative to uh, to to gravity, basically, and to our to where we are in time. So basically, Einstein's theory of special relativity proposes that time moves relative to an observer. So an observer traveling near the speed of light will experience time with all its after effects, aging, etc. much more slowly than an observer at rest. So this, uh, this idea is what you'll see in like some space movies, um, where somebody goes to a different planet or something and they age much more slowly. If you think of movie Interstellar, which I'm going to talk about in a few minutes, um, he, uh, he ages very slowly and meanwhile his daughter is, is an old woman and she, he's still like 30 years old. So not entirely far-fetched uh, according to Einstein's theory here. Um, this theory also proposes that space and time are part of a four-dimensional structure where everything that has happened has its own coordinates in space-time. in the movie Interstellar, which is a great movie. The first time we saw it uh, was in sort of an art house movie theater, and it was just actually like sort of a out of body experience, hearing that Hans Zimmer score just drumming in our ears and this sort of fantastic, amazing story that was taking us into black holes and tesseracts and time and space and all these sort of things. And actually, the conclusion of the the movie is really beautiful and theologically, uh, metaphysically rich, um, because basically what it says is that love uh this love that this father has for his daughter transcends space and time matthew mcconaughey's character ends up basically in a tesseract in a black hole and uh scientists say basically in a black hole you know where gravity is collapsing in on itself time also again as a relative function uh as a relative concept in relation to gravity and space would also collapse so in that idea of being in this in this tesseract locked in a black hole Matthew McConaughey's character is able to sort of uh is able to be in many places in time at once because time has collapsed so he's able to interact with his daughter um, throughout many years and she realizes finally that this ghost from her childhood is her father uh communicating in morse code and dust and in this ticking of her watch and all these sort of things, it's really amazing and uh, that his, uh, his love for her and his focus on her um, transcends everything, transcends, uh, can, can reach across a black hole and uh, ends up saving, saving humanity. So a really beautiful movie actually, one to go ahead and rewatch maybe with these ideas of time in our head. So if you've read Madeleine L'Engle's Wrinkle in Time series, you're familiar with the term tesseract. Uh, so in that story the tesseract is the wrinkle in time from the title um, because it's a wrinkle in space as well uh, so a tesseract is is a shape right um, but in this in this idea involving time it's a vis- visual representation of a cube existing in the three spatial dimensions uh, the three spatial dimensions and then the additional dimension the fourth dimension of time not surprisingly when Langel, um, pitched this book uh, to many publishers they said you know kids are not going to understand what the tesseract is you're talking about black holes and uh these concepts that adults don't even uh, understand uh, there's no way this is going to work and she was insistent uh that that they use the real terms and that they they bring in some real science and uh when when it was eventually published um, of course kids did understand and um it just goes to show it goes to show that um complex ideas uh are accessible. Um, I don't understand them, but maybe the kids do. <laughs> um, or maybe we're not supposed to fully understand uh, more accurately. A tesseract can be this idea of like a fifth dimensional bridge um, between two points in time and space. It's sort of the physical means by which uh, uh, an individual could access these other points in time and space. And this gives rise to the question of, you know, is, um, is time travel possible? Um, and the answer is yes, yes it is, um, but probably not in the way uh, that we think of it, not in a Doctor Who way. Um, no, there's no Tardis that exists that I know of, but um, that according to this uh, theory of relativity, um, time does move differently, right? In different, uh, I- according to how fast an individual is moving. So uh, they did an experiment where they had two clocks set exactly the same, uh, and one, you know, kept ticking away on on um on the earth didn't leave the ground while the other one went in a high speed plane and the clock that went in the high speed plane uh was a second ahead by the time it landed so time literally changed while they were in the air um speaking of madeline langle if you've read her book walking on water which is an amazing sort of meditation just far reaching meditation on writing and art and science and um Creativity and theology. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, she brings up uh, this this amazing thing that happened uh, when um, a group of astronauts from NASA were in space and over the intercom that was was linking them back to Earth. Um, They heard this sort of nostalgic um, 1930s era jazz music and they were kind of chuckling and they sent back a dispatch and said, you know, thanks for the music, guys. And they were like, "Um, we didn't send any music. So they were worried, have we been hacked? What's going on here? Um, And they couldn't find that specific music was being broadcast across any other airwaves that they could find where you know Maybe they said intersected with NASA's airwaves and was projecting they couldn't find that being played anywhere at the time Except back in the 1930s. So it seems like and is perfectly possible that they had essentially entered another pocket of time, uh, at least this is the way L'Engle, um presents it, that this was a feasible idea that um, the astronauts were hearing music that existed and was being played at another time and space, um, that their sort of broadcast had picked up an old signal because of the way that the speed of light travels and things like that, um, and the way that they were moving, uh, the rate that they were moving in space. So wild things like that can happen, um, where different points of time can intersect with each other. We also don't really understand the concept of present versus future. Uh, the future hasn't yet happened, so we can only really measurably experience the present. Um, we only experience the past through memory, we only experience the future through our minds, through um, through guesswork essentially. But of course, and scientists will bring up that you have... Um, you have you have artifacts of time you have the evidence of aging you have fossils on the earth you uh, you can see the wear and tear on a building over time so time the physical ramifications of time uh, do show up Um, now the rate at which we experience them has an effect Uh, and again that's that theory of relativity that I'm only barely comprehending barely holding on in my mind my husband tried to, when we were talking about this, tried to explain it like when you're sitting in a car and uh, a car next to you starts moving, um, it looks like you're moving. Have you ever, I've had that experience where I'm really disoriented. I check my, you know, am I still parked? Um, but you're not moving. So it's only because you're in relation to that car that it seems like you're moving. So time is the same way in that um, the way we experience what is happening around us, the way that physical objects move in relation to us affects our experience of time. So going back to those, uh, to those Eastern Orthodox monks, um, they've decided that they're going to measure time differently and therefore they're going to experience time differently. So I do think um, time exists, but the measurement is, uh, is certainly up for debate and has changed over centuries. You know, we, we use um, basically the Gregorian calendar today. Uh, and that was introduced in October, 1582. Uh, so with some minor modifications to the Julian calendar that was used before then. So we've lived in different times at different points in history. We've had different ways of measuring time. I actually thought of this this idea a, l- a long time ago to do a podcast about time when I was uh, in the midst of, you know, some people say f- it's called a four-month sleep regression, um, when our daughter's naps suddenly became so short, um, but they were almost always 30 minutes, like 30 minutes exactly. We knew exactly when she would wake up. We would time it and it would be 30 minutes. Her little eyes would just flutter right open and we would say to each other, you know, time is real because she is waking up at exactly 30 minutes each time, so uh, it, se- it seems like a nice round even number, and just a coincidence, I guess, that that's her—that that was her sleep cycle at the time. But um, he- we do have these ways of measuring it. Uh, but maybe if I was using Byzantine time <laughs> or something else, it would—it would be twenty minutes. You know, if we had a different idea of how long a minute was. Uh, so I don't think that it's—it's it's not set in stone how we experience time, and that's—that's uh, that's certainly good to keep in mind. Um, being a quote-unquote timeless creature if we believe that we have a soul that is timeless what does it mean to exist in time and how does our measurement of time affect us as as basically someone who's meant to be timeless and is trapped in time and I think that's why maybe time travel and ideas um talk everlasting of you know fountains of youth all sorts of things that sort of mess with our idea of time and more so the ramifications of time of aging of of death That these sort of things that they can be reversed or altered you know time travel where we can fix something there's a really beautiful episode of Doctor Who uh, a little bit of a spoiler alert here if you haven't seen it it's one of the Matt Smith episodes and if you don't watch Doctor Who this is actually a great first episode to watch either this one or the David Tennant episode with Agatha Christie those are the ones I show people who um are not familiar with Doctor Who um but anyway in this Matt Smith episode um they go back in time and they uh meet Van Gogh uh and of course he's he's very depressed and everybody hates his work you know nobody's appreciating him and Uh, Amy, uh, the doctor's companion, says, you know, if only he knew what an impact that he was going to have, I bet he wouldn't kill himself. I bet that he would, he would go on living, he would have something to live for, and they allow him to time travel ahead into the future, go to a museum where he's being talked about, and all his work is on the wall, and he's just sort of, um, just celebrated, you know, as he should be, and he has tears in his eyes, of course, seeing this, and then um, they go back and they drop him back off in his own era, and when they go back uh, to the future to the present, uh, she, you know she's going to the museum expecting to see rooms and rooms more of Mango. Um, now that he had all this extra time to create, but uh, but his death day remained the same. He he still he still died on the same day. It wasn't enough um, for him to know Good that. Donal was. Soften the bad things, but vice versa. The bad things don't necessarily spoil the good things or make them unimportant. And And we definitely added to his pile. There's a more recent movie uh, called About Time, where all the men in the in the movie are time travelers, and that movie also shows uh, the ramifications of of uh, of changing things too much. And there are some mistakes he makes, um, where where things are are altered in ways that he wishes he could change. And um, there's also a certain point where he can't go back any further. And Uh, yeah, just there are lots of lots of good movies, actually, lots of good time travel movies. Um, I was laughing when we watched that movie, because um, Rachel McAdams is in that movie. And she's also in The Time Traveler's Wife, which is not a very good movie, in my opinion, but I did enjoy the book back when it came out a long time ago now. Uh, And she's also in uh, Midnight in Paris, which is another time traveling movie. So I think she was being typecast uh, as a time as a time traveler companion but in any case all those movies bring up different questions about about time um and in midnight in paris actually the idea is that he uh he goes back in time to the 1920s in paris you know hemingway fitzgerald just the roaring 20s what a time to be alive and he meets this uh, young french woman there who just wants to be back in uh back in the 1800s. She says that was when people were really living. So of course, there's also questions about how we, we are always longing for a time other than our own. And um, we'd probably do well to take Gandalf's advice. And uh, all we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given us. So we are here in this time, in this place, and that, that means something and no time is perfect. I know I can fall into nostalgic thinking myself sometimes. One last concept I wanted to touch on, and I, and I want to actually do a, a whole podcast about the liturgy at some point. But if you haven't read uh, Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict's um, book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, here's a beautiful quote from that book. Man is woven into the fabric of the universe. Time is, first of all, a cosmic phenomenon. Man lives with the stars. The course of the sun and moon leaves its mark on his life. And here's another quote the liturgy is the means by which earthly time is inserted into the time of jesus christ and into its present it is the turning point of the process of redemption the shepherd takes the lost sheep onto his shoulders and carries it home so in this book um he really expounds on the liturgy's purpose and also um, the liturgy's purpose in time and space if you think about how um, how muslims how they pray uh, they have to be they have to be facing mecca they're very they have to be facing Mecca, they have to pray at very specific times. Uh, this isn't arbitrary uh, and you think about those monks with their um, Byzantine time and things happen in a very ordered way. This way that we create time, the way that we interact with time, and the way ultimately that we celebrate uh, our liturgy within time has a huge impact on us as as eternal beings in time uh, and this way there's another, I don't have it written down but um, Pope Benedict goes on to say, basically, that uh, what saves Christianity from being a myth is that it happened in time. Uh, people forget this in a secular age, but our whole measurement of time is 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 A. D. and BC. I know now it's Common Era and things like that, but we we mark there's sort of this break in time. Um, that's how we measure time. That's how the Western world has 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 decided to mark time, and the fact that that Christ existed in time uh, as a historical figure. You know, you can read plenty of books about the historical Jesus, um, that, that this saves Christianity from being a myth in a very different way. This is something that C.S. Lewis and Tolkien would talk about in a very different way than Odin or the Greek gods who uh, exist outside of space and time. They exist in a way that art exists uh, in a way um, that stories exist, many stories, um, these sort of foundational stories. But that's very different than when uh, saying, you know, okay, year zero, year zero, year 33 AD. Um, And the liturgy should reflect that reality of time and that there are all these things that happen in the liturgy that should happen in the liturgy that root us in time. And I think that that's so important and, uh, and you know, going to Mass um, can be a very important way of marking time about, um, you know, marking Sunday, about marking a day of rest. We have these separations of days and uh, how we measure uh, what we should be doing on, dif- on different days. This is what gives us coherence and structure and meaning to our life, right? Uh, So I'm going to end here with two quotes um, from two very different people who seem to agree. (laughs) Mother Teresa said, yesterday is gone, tomorrow has not yet come, we have only today, let us begin. And George Harrison said, it's being here now that's important. There's no past, there's no future. Time is a very misleading thing. All there ever is, is the now. We can gain experience from the past, but we can't relive it. We can hope for the future, but we don't know if there is one. So Mother Teresa and George Harrison sharing a theology of time there about living in the present, living in the present moment, learning from the past, hoping for the future, um, but uh, but living in the now. So, uh, and to quote Dr. Seuss, how did it get so late so soon? <laughs> um, this was very meandering. Uh, I hope it was interesting. I hope that it has inspired you to uh, to look at the way you structure your, your day and how you interact with time. Um, just on a practical note uh about like time management this was a big adjustment for me um when the baby was born because i was used to i worked in an office for quite a while and wow those hours could drag by i was like in a it was called the bullpen um there were no windows i was sort of locked in my headphones just staring at these squiggly lines on the screen editing audio and i mean sometimes there were breaks of course for interviews and other things like that but i was time time was a difficult thing for me time dragged I mean it really dragged Um, and then when I was out of the office and at home um, but with a lot more time on my hands and before the baby was born uh, you know I had a lot of time and I felt like I could fit so much into a day and I often did get a lot done in a day and then when she was born I was like how am I supposed to get anything done I can't do this this baby needs me all the time um, and what I've found is that, uh, if you, if you make a little to-do list, um, don't make it too aggressive, um, you actually will have time to get things done. And almost all the time we're contact napping, this baby is like on me, like a, like a little koala all the time. And, uh, I can still get things done. And <laughs> my mother-in-law helps out, um, usually once a week and Chris of course helps out too, but, um, this baby is with me most of the time and, um. I think I had to make a smaller to-do list, um, but I can still get a lot done. Uh, if you remember, there's like a Friends episode when Ross becomes unemployed and uh, he lists all the things that he did in a day and there and Joey's like, whoa, you just described like a week's worth of things to do. That's sort of the approach you wanna take, <laughs> I think, with children. Um, they force us to slow down in the best ways and um, reprioritize things. Uh, I actually have more time to read, uh, in a lot of ways, I have more time uh, to get outside. That's also a huge part of um, uh, of making the day uh, feel structured is getting outside, getting those hours outside, fresh air for both of us. Um, so anyway, that's what's helped me. That's what um, what helps give me some structure uh, in a in a currently always changing life with a little baby. So i hope that uh, i hope this has been interesting and inspiring um i have been on that note of outside my recommendation to you is a bbc podcast called bbc earth they also have a bbc i think it's scotland outdoor scotland podcast the bbc has great podcasts that's i think why i brought them up earlier bbc if you want to sponsor me go right ahead um right here ready to be sponsored by you um but they if you just search BBC you will find just an amazing resource of podcasts especially about nature they do wonderful wonderful um work on nature i know i recommended their slow radio a while back um, but, uh, this earth podcast has, uh, exposed me to some amazing ideas, concepts like Lazarus species, um, milky seas, all kinds of just fantastic things that inspire wonder and awe in the world. So I hope you check out that podcast. Um, and while you're there, leave, uh, leave me a review, leave born of wonder, a review, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm going to end with... Moon River um which is a song that I love it was our first it was my husband and I first uh first song that we danced to at our wedding um and because it is uh I think it was last week it might be this week marks 60 years since Breakfast at Tiffany's uh came out uh the movie came out so that's another thing you can do watch Breakfast at Tiffany's uh and enjoy here Audrey Hepburn singing Moon River in the film I'm Katie Marquette and you've been listening to Born of Wonder. there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. The mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing.